welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. And I'm Howie Silbiger. Happy Hanukkah. It's the first night of Hanukkah. I'm not normally on Sunday nights, but I'm happy to be here tonight. The show is pre-recorded. We recorded earlier in the day, uh, so please do not call in. Uh, the reason we're pre-recording, uh, we're going to pre-record tonight and tomorrow, maybe Tuesday, is because uh, we're building a second studio, a backup studio, and uh, all the equipment hasn't come in for that backup studio yet. And I'm not going to be physically at the location of our, our first studio uh, in time to do the show tonight or tomorrow. So uh, building the backup studio will give me the option to do the show from different locations. So that's what we're doing. And so... Um, because I don't have all the equipment installed yet, uh, I have to pre-record tonight and possibly tomorrow night, and hopefully we'll be back live on Tuesday night, maybe Wednesday. Uh, we'll see. So please do not call in. I, I hardly ever tell you not to call in, but please do not call in. But if you want to comment on the show or you want to talk to me about anything else, you could feel free to email me at howie at truetalkradio.com. Or you could uh, send me a message through Facebook, through the Howie Silberger Show page on Facebook. Or you could send me a tweet on Twitter at Howie Silberger. Or, of course, you could go to Instagram. You could send me a, a message on Instagram. You could go to YouTube and you could comment on the show on YouTube. There's so many ways you could contact me. So if you want to contact me, you can. Now, Hanukkah is my favorite holiday of the entire Jewish year. And people ask me, why Hanukkah? It's such a minor holiday. It seems like an insignificant holiday in the in the in the in the annals of Jewish of Jewish existence. It seems seems quite insignificant. Although we do commemorate it for eight days, it seems like a kind of an insignificant event. Uh, why would you why would you say this is your favorite holiday? I'll tell you why. And it has nothing to do with the lights. In fact, it drives me kind of crazy when people refer to Hanukkah as the holiday of lights. The reason Hanukkah is referred to as the Holiday of Lights, aside from the fact that we light candles, uh, but that's not why it's referred to as the Holiday of Lights. It's referred to the Holiday of Lights simply because Christmas is the miracle of lights. And so because Hanukkah falls at around the same time as Christmas, there were many people who tried to associate the two holidays together. So Hanukkah is the Jewish Christmas, and therefore if, the, uh, if Christmas is the miracle of lights, then Hanukkah has to be the, uh, if, Chris, if Christmas is the holiday of lights, then Hanukkah has to be the, the miracle of lights. It's 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 a simulation term. I'm not going to use it. Hanukkah is and always will be to me a a holiday of Jewish dominance, a holiday of Jewish military dominance, a holiday of Jewish survival, a holiday of Jews winning. And we have to recognize the fact that Jews ha Jews won won. The Assyrians were coming to to destroy the Jews. They wanted the they wanted to destroy the Jewish religion. They were afraid for their empire. They were afraid that the Jews would revolt, so they came to destroy the Jews. And Yehuda Maccabee and his family, Matisyahu and his sons, stood up against the Assyrian uh, emperor, uh, the king, Antiochus, and won. They stood up against the empire and won. And this is something we have to remember, and this is something that we commemorate. Now, the idea of lighting the menorah and the, uh, the eight days of candles, uh, fine. It's a nice little addendum to the story that they had one night uh, of oil for the menorah and then it lasted for eight nights. Okay, great. Great little story there. Uh, 
But the real celebration, the real miracle of Hanukkah, wasn't so much the menorah, although that was a miracle in itself, but it was the Jews winning over the Assyrians. And it's not something that we celebrate very often, Jews winning. We normally tend to depict Jews as losers, tend to depict Jews as piles of bodies being dragged across a field and dumped into a mass grave. We tend to depict Jews as uh, we were oppressed and we were killed and our, our stuff was stolen and our, our people were burned and our synagogues were destroyed. We never really depict the Jewish fighters and we never really depict ourselves as the winners. And it's funny, I, this past weekend I had a conversation with a, with a local rabbi and we were talking and um, and we were having this exact conversation that, that the Jewish museums, the Holocaust museums that we, uh, that, that we go and visit on a normal basis, don't end the story well. So, so they tell the story pretty well that the, there was a Jewish life before the Holocaust. Some of them do at least. That there was Jewish life before the Holocaust. And then the Holocaust happened and a lot of Jews died. And then they kind of ended there. But they never really follow through with, uh, but, but Judaism survived. The Nazism, Nazism died. Nazis are gone. Nazi philosophy is pretty much ridiculed around the world. It's illegal in many countries, and, uh, and it's just it's, it's, it's seen as what it was, a ridiculous philosophy that was brainwashed into the people of Europe. But Judaism survived. Jews are still around. I'm, I'm still here. There are many Jews still around. And Judaism will continue to survive. And this is almost never depicted in a Holocaust museum. So you never, you never get to the end of the Holocaust museum. You walk through the, uh, you walk through the uh, boxcar where Jews were transported to the concentration camps, and you and you take a look, and uh, and you see bodies of Jews being buried and bodies of Jews being uh, pushed into mass graves. And that's usually where it ends, and it doesn't continue with uh, with a depiction of oh, and then Jews got their own country, oh. And then that country became one of the one of the biggest military mites in the Middle East. Oh, and that country's GDP matches any industrialized country in the world. Oh, and the Jews have won Nobel Peace Prizes and Nobel uh, Science Prizes and Nobel Literature Prizes for years and years and years after the Holocaust. And oh, there are Jewish communities around the world that still live and thrive. That is never depicted. I guess the Holocaust museums must figure that everybody knows that the Jews still exist because they still exist. And everybody must know Jewish people who live in their hometown, so why depict in a museum? Who really cares? But the truth is that by not depicting Jewish victory and by not depicting Jews who are strong and Jews who had survived, I mean, mass chaos had survived this, this Nazism, this, this, this destructive force that had come to kill them, by not depicting Jews as as the victors, we're weakening the Jewish people. We're weakening the resolve of the Jewish people. And, and that's been the problem since the advent of Holocaust museums. And so when we celebrate Hanukkah, and we, and we look at Hanukkah and the story of Hanukkah, and we see the Maccabees standing up against uh, the Nazis of their times, the Syrians who want to go and kill them, the, Cellul the Seleucid king of Syria, Antiochus, who wanted to come and kill the Jews, convert or die, which has been a common theme throughout Jewish history, convert or die. And when we, when we take a look at the story and the parallels between this story here, the Hanukkah story, and let's say the, the, the Holocaust, and we see a, a leader rises up, a leader comes up and says, okay, the Jews are a threat to my country. 
the Jews must be destroyed. And then goes about trying to figure out how to destroy the Jewish people. You look at the parallels, I mean, you can almost parallel it throughout Jewish history. For every dictator who wanted to kill the Jews, it pretty much worked the exact same way. And the Hanukkah story is one of the only Jewish stories where we celebrate the victory, where we celebrate the fact that the Jews did not uh, get massacred. The Jews fought back and won the war. Sure, many died, and the Jewish way of life kind of degraded after, after the... Um, after the Hanukkah story, if you read the book of Maccabees, the uh, Jewish religious life kind of degraded um, until the destruction of the temple. But the Jews survived, and they were there, and they took over their land, and they controlled themselves, and they had self-autonomy. And, and, that, and to me, that is amazing. That's an amazing message, that there could be strong Jews, there could be Jews that win the war. We could lose the battle, but we could win the war. And we won the war. And we should be happy we won the war and celebrate that we won the war. And that is the, that is the, should be the message sent everywhere for Hanukkah. That no matter what the threat against the Jewish people is, no matter how much we believe that we will be destroyed, and <laughs> there is no doubt that Jews in North America believe, or at least should believe, or should be afraid that destruction is on its way. It's, it's on its way. And so as long as we're aware that destruction is on its way, as long as we're aware that the way of life that we live right now may not be the way of life that we continue to live, as long as we're aware of this, then there's something we could do about it. Then we could fight back. We could be Maccabees and we could fight back and we could win and we could, Judaism could survive. And that's the miracle of the Hanukkah story is the fact that Judaism survived. It's the fact that Judaism is still around today. That's the miracle of Hanukkah. Is that it gives the Jews resolve. It, it, it shows that the miracle of Hanukkah is that God is watching us and that no matter what insurmountable challenge that we're facing, we will survive it. We will go on. And Judaism will live on as it has for millenniums. But we have to believe that. There, there has to be some kind of faith, some, some, kind of, some kind of belief in the system. You can't just go on and not believe in the system. If you don't believe that we are the recipients of miracles, if you don't recognize the miracles of our lives today, then, then uh, all of this is just lighting candles in a window. Then, it, then it's totally pointless. We have to believe in the miracle, we have to believe, we have to have faith that God is watching out for us. So once we, once we decide that we're, we're going to believe and that we have the faith and that the God is watching out for us, then miracles happen and we see the miracles every day. The, the establishment of the state of Israel was a miracle right after the Holocaust, right after the world had decided, the industrialized world had decided that the Jewish people were not worth saving. In fact, they were worth killing. They were subhuman. The industrial world had decided that. Canada turned back shiploads of, of Jewish refugees who escaped the ovens of Auschwitz. And they turned them back with the, uh, with the motto, none is too many. They turned them back, sent them back to where they came from so they could go back to the concentration camps and die. 
Cuba did the same thing until the Jews paid off the Cubans. The Cubans didn't let them in either. The Americans didn't let them in. Nobody let shiploads of Jews into their countries because Jews were subhuman. And we're not talking uh, 100 years ago. We're talking less than 100 years ago. Jews were subhuman in North America. They weren't allowed to come in. They had to go die in Europe. And, and anybody who wanted Jews to come in and anybody who, who, who tried to push for Jews to come in were, were not American. They were anti-American or they were anti-Canadian or they were anti-whatever uh, country they were in. They, they had dual loyalties, they said, because they were trying to save their brethren who were dying in the concentration camps in the ovens of Auschwitz and Birkenau and Majdanek. It's very scary. When you think about it, it's extremely scary. And it was less than 100 years ago. So, so we're talking about less than 100 years ago. We, we didn't have the Maccabees standing up for us. We didn't have the Maccabees fighting for us. Sure, there were, there were resistance movements right across Europe who were fighting hard and fighting and fighting really hard against the Nazis. But, but who was the real Maccabee? Who was the Maccabee of the time? Who was the savior? There were none. There were no saviors. The Jewish people survived because the war ended. Had the war continued, had the Americans and the Russians not come in and not defeated the Nazis, the concentration camps would have continued to burn Jews. The Americans had the opportunity to bomb the train tracks to the concentration camps, and they chose not to. They chose not to because killing Jews was not their motive. It wasn't their motive to stop the war, their motive to end the Nazis wasn't because they were killing Jews. Nobody really cared about that. Nobody really cared that there were factories built to destroy Jews. Nobody cared. And we have to remember that too. We have to remember that nobody cared. And so when you hear an inspirational event like the Maccabees getting up and fighting back, getting up and saying, no, no, this is not acceptable, and we will continue to fight, and we'll fight to our deaths if we have to, to defend our Torah, to defend our religion, to defend our people. When you hear inspirational stories like that, you should be inspired to do the same thing. You should be inspired to get up and to fight. Now, every year I get on the radio, every year I ask the same question. I've been doing it for almost 30 years. And I ask the question, who are the Maccabees of today? And that's really the question that I ask every single year. And every single year I open the lines. I can't open the lines tonight because the show's pre-recorded. But every year I open the lines and I ask the same question, who are the Maccabees today? And every year I don't get very many answers because it's very hard to try to, it's very difficult to try to figure out who the Maccabees of today are. Who, who are the Maccabees? Who are standing up for Judaism? Who are standing up for the Jewish people? Who's standing up for Torah? Who's fighting? And who would put their lives on the line in order to fight back and in order to, uh, to achieve the goal of fighting back and, uh, and, uh, and, and saving the Jewish people? Is there anybody today? I can't think of anybody. And honestly, for the last few years, I can't think of anybody who stands in the forefront of doing this. And that's really sad. It's really sad. 30 years ago, maybe I could have thought of somebody or one or two people. But today, it's very hard to come up with the Maccabee. Because the Jewish population has become so comfortable and so apathetic living in North America, living in the, in the affluence of North America, that... Fighting back for Judaism and, and recognizing that there's a problem and there's a problem that needs to be fought back for is, is problematic in itself. That Jews don't recognize the, the dangers 
of the assimilation factor of North America. They don't, they don't, they don't realize the dangers of the melting pot that is America. And there's huge danger. When you talk about the melting pot, there's huge danger. Jews who intermarry, and there's more than 70% of Jewish men and women in, in North America intermarry, more than 70%. That's crazy. What a crazy statistic. When you think back to, to the Maccabees who fought to maintain Judaism, to fought, who fought to, uh, to maintain Jewish way of life, to, to maintain Torah and mitzvot and, 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 and the temple, the base of Migdash, and they fought really hard to, to do that, and they gave their lives for it. And you think back to the Holocaust, where, where, where people gave their lives fighting against this Nazi oppression, gave their lives fighting, trying to, uh, to ensure that they would, um, they would survive and the Jewish people would survive. And you think about all that, and then, and then you think that you know, Jews moved to, uh, to North America hungry and, and destitute, right out of concentration camps. And they built up vast empires, vast businesses, including Hollywood. They built up everything. And then they gave up on religion. And they gave up on God. And they, they gave up on anything that, that concerned and that dealt, with, uh, that dealt with morality. It just went out the window. Affluence, money got in the way. I can make a lot more money if my shop is open on Saturdays and Saturday is a really busy day. Friday night and Saturdays are really busy. I can make a lot more money. So why would I close my shop on Friday night and Saturday? I can make a lot of money if I don't close for 12 days a year because of Jewish holidays. I can make a lot of money if I just go into work. Oh, how am I going to pass my exams at university if I don't go to class on, 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 on Yom Kippur? How am I going to? And these questions pop up all the time. And these excuses, and that's all they are, they're just excuses, are, are used all the time to justify watering down Judaism. And this is what happens. And Judaism gets watered down and watered down and watered down. So you start off with Orthodox Judaism, and I hate using these labels because they don't really mean much, but uh, Orthodox Judaism, where you know the men, of the, the men and the women uh, maintain and follow the laws of, uh, of the Torah, and then you have modern Orthodox. So what is modern Orthodox in, in, uh, as opposed to Orthodox? And once again, I'm not, I, I don't put too much credence into these labels, but we have to look at them. So what is modern Orthodox in relation to Orthodox Judaism? It's a watered-down version. All right, so Orthodox Jews, they study uh, Torah, you know, six hours a day or five hours a day or every, you know, whenever they have chime. So in the morning, the early morning, they go out and they study, and then late in the evening, they study Torah. Modern Orthodox, okay, we don't study that much Torah. Okay, we'll study in the morning for a couple of hours, for an hour, and then we'll study in the afternoon for an hour, but leave us alone after that. And then you have uh, conservative and reform, and, and those, those have just trailed right out of Judaism. Judaism doesn't even exist in those worlds anymore. So when you, when you, when you have a religion, and you have a religion that, uh, that, that, that is weak to start with, and you depict it as weak and as losers and as the victims all the time, then you're never really building it up. You're never really strengthening it. And that's really the issue we have with, uh, with, with Jewish life today, that the stretching, the building, the, the, the growing of the confidence of the Jewish people has not happened in a very, very long time. And the result of that is, uh, well, the, the end result of not having strong leadership is 
not having a strong population. And Judaism definitely does not have strong leadership. Not in Orthodox Judaism, not in modern Orthodox Judaism, not in, uh, in conservative or reform. There is no strong leadership. And lack of strong leadership is really a major issue. It's hard to motivate people. It's very difficult to motivate people when you don't have a strong leader. It's very difficult to get people to go to a synagogue that doesn't have a strong leadership, that doesn't have a strong rabbi, that doesn't have a strong moral sense, that doesn't have a strong, that's just, that's just surviving, that's there to survive, that's just there to, uh, to, to, to go through the punk, go through the, um, the services as quickly as possible just because we have to. Just do everything by rote instead of doing things by heart. And you could tell when a synagogue is doing things by road and doing things by heart. You could see people looking at their watches. You could see people yawning. It's obvious when the situation in a synagogue is not ideally, um, ideally religious. It's true. It's not. And, and it's sad. And sometimes I walk to synagogue and I walk away so uninspired and, and you figure that synagogue services should be inspiring. And sometimes I go to synagogue and I walk away totally uninspired. And I'm uninspired because simply there is nothing there to inspire me. The services that are, that are conducted in a synagogue are generally boring. And, uh, and, and, and the speech is usually not so great. And so you're left totally uninspired. But when I get to a holiday like Hanukkah, and I get to a holiday like this, and I start thinking, who are the Maccabees? Who were the Maccabees? And I start thinking about, about what, happened, what would happen today? And it's happening now, by the way, where Judaism's under attack. Who's going to stand up? Who are going to be the Maccabees of the day? Who are going to fight back for the Jewish people? And back then, I, I saw a family of guys get up and fight, physically fight, the Seleucid king of Syria. Today, I'm not so sure how many people would do that. How many people would stand up and actually fight, fight to almost to the death, or to the death, for the Jewish people and for Judaism? I'm afraid that it's not very many. And that is due to our lack of, uh, of strong Jewish education. It's due to our lack of, uh, of strong moral values, due to our lack of, of, of convincing the Jewish people that following the word of God, following Torah, following, um, following the light of, of Judaism is, not, um, is, is, is extremely important. And we just tend, don't tend to do that. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We are pre-recorded tonight. We're not live. Usually we're live, but tonight we are pre-recorded right here on the True Talk Radio's network. This was a special Sunday night show on the first night of Hanukkah. I want to wish you all a happy Hanukkah, and uh, I hope that Hanukkah is good to you. I hope that um, I hope that we um, that we learn that we learn very quickly that uh, that Hanukkah it should be should be inspirational. And um, I'm really hoping that you find it inspirational. It's important to me that uh, that we are inspired by the Maccabees. It's important that we that we learn that the Maccabees are there, and they're there. They they were there, and they were there for the Jewish people. It's it's extremely important to uh, to to model ourselves after people like the Maccabees, 
and to model ourselves and to realize that we are um, we are one people. We're responsible for each other, and we have to work hard in order to achieve the goal of survival, survival of Judaism, survival of Jewish people. And uh, I hope that you will take up the mantle. I hope that you will take up the the guard, and you will you will work very hard to make Judaism the best religion out there, to make the Jewish people the strongest people out there, and to ensure that every Jewish child gets Jewish education and that every Jewish education promotes Judaism. That's all we could ask for. That's all the A. Maccabees would ask for, too. They saved Judaism. They saved the Jewish people. And to see it melt away due to assimilation, to melt away due to the uncaring attitudes of many, many people. It's heartbreaking. It really is. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. Uh, we've been doing half-hour shows for the last little while. Uh, they will get longer in the next couple of weeks. But thank you for bearing with us. Uh, it's the True Talk Radio Network. I'll see you again tomorrow night right here on truetalkradio.com.